cool. It's great to see you guys. If you're joining us here this week for the first time, you are catching us at the end of a series on prophecy and the prophetic. And before you get scared, if you're here for the first time checking it out, this is not weird. This is biblical stuff. And uh, we're just going to pray tonight uh, that God would have his uh, truth known to us, that he would just touch our hearts and our minds for this topic. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we just love that you are active. Lord, we just declare that you are risen from the dead, that you are alive in us, in Jesus, that you, because you are alive, that you have plans and purposes to speak to us. Lord, we stand upon the truth that you are not silent on the throne in heaven, that you are alive and active, living within us. Lord, just reveal to our hearts and our minds, God, the unfathomable truths that you live in us and that you speak to us. And you want to do amazing things through us. And so, Jesus, we just surrender ourselves to you in this word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So very first week, this is part three in the series. The very first week we talked about what exactly is prophecy? Is it the same as in the Old Testament? How does it change that we're in the New Testament? And what exactly does it do? And the quick answers are, it's not like the Old Testament. <laughs> I'm not going to go through the whole entire teaching but the operative thing that we need to know about prophecy is that it reveals God's heart in the New Testament. It clarifies who you are in the kingdom, what God thinks about you in the New Testament, and it builds people up. The point of prophecy and the prophetic in the New Covenant is to build you up, is to set you free, is to give you a picture of who you are in your Father's eyes. And it demonstrates God's love for people through you. So when you have a word for someone, when you have this unique revelation about someone that doesn't belong to you but is correct. It's God saying, hello, I'm real and I'm here and I want a relationship with you. And so the prophetic and the ways of words of knowledge and, and, and ways that we can have intercession on behalf of other people of details that don't belong to us but are true, that is God saying, hello, I'm real, I'm here, I want a relationship with you. Prophecy is not predicting the end of the world. I've made a vow to unfriend anybody who claims destruction upon any city or any nation because of God's judgment and sin. And every, like anytime someone says, like, end times, like, the end of the world's going to come now. It's just like, come on. Like, you're not helping the other Christians who hear from God right now. You're kind of making us all look silly. It's also not fortune telling. Otherwise, we'd all have a whole bunch of lottery winners. Isn't that right? It's not revealing people's sins. Just because you have revelation of someone's sin does not mean you're operating in the right spirit. The scriptures say to test the spirit. So it's entirely possible that you might have a revelation of someone's sin. But the word says that God remembers your sins no more. So why would he use his prophetic voice in you to reveal sins in other people? It's a misinterpreted passage in 1 Corinthians. It talks about revealing the contents of a man's heart. We actually study that. We actually believe that revealing the contents of a man's heart is actually revealing the dreams of who he wants to be and who he is. Because the point of prophecy and the prophetic is to build up. How many know that's really hard to build someone up when you're like blowing a whistle on all their junk? And so we believe that prophecy and the prophetic brings people up. It doesn't proclaim judgment. It actually proclaims forgiveness. It proclaims redemption. The prophetic is to declare the good news, not the bad news. They call it good news for a good reason, right? 
that God is no longer keeping record of your sins. He's not holding sins against his people, but reconciling all things to himself. And literally, the definition of prophecy is to speak under inspiration. When you operate in such a way that you are connected to God's spirit, you are speaking in inspiration. That's prophetic. The prophetic is simply revealing what is true. Anytime you clarify for someone in the prophetic what God's heart is for them, you are operating in an inspired nature. You are just clarifying what is already true by revealing God's heart for people. And part two, our second week, so if you missed any of that stuff, go back and get it. It's all in the podcast. But week two is about activating the prophetic. How does God speak to us? How has he wired us? And we have this misnomer that we need to like go and seek and become prophetic and become gifted. And it's like, God's like, I've given you like factory default settings in our new creation that we've been given. You're prophetic. How do I know? Because you've been given the mind of Christ. You hear his voice and you're taught by his spirit. That sounds pretty prophetic to me. You don't have to enroll in school for those things. You don't have to say certain words for those things. It's just who you are. It's the DNA of who you are in the kingdom. He lives inside of you. And so just being alive, receiving Christ, you've been transformed into this prophetic being where you have his thoughts, you learn from him, and you are his voice. Now, whether or not you want to operate in that is another thing. And so week two, we talked about how does God drop those clues Because sometimes we're discipling ourselves out of hearing the voice of God. I got weird voices in my head about who I am and how God loves me. I need to pray to get this out. And God's saying, no. I actually use the thoughts of your mind to actually speak to you because you have the mind of Christ. If God has given you the mind of Christ, don't you think that the mind of Christ would have some thoughts? Just saying. It's like a car that doesn't drive. That would make no sense. But you've been given the mind of Christ. And so we talked about the several ways that revelation comes to us. And when it spills over for you for someone else, that is a prophetic word for someone else. That was great because I didn't anticipate this to happen, but several people gave words to me. That's great. But I, I've heard that from other people. It's like, yeah, after this, like, I, I'm now understanding these things that I used to try and get rid of in my life are actually God trying to speak to me. That's how I was. I have like kind of chronic ADD where I'm like always thinking about a million things at one time. And I'm going to try, like, I need to think, like, you know, like, get these things, distractions out of me. And God's like, no, actually, I'm, like, planting revelation into your heart. So tonight is part three, and it's cultivating the prophetic. This is the personal application. If you're on board with me for part one and part two, part one is, like, this stuff is real, it's legit, it's for today, it's for building up, not tearing down. If you are for, like, I am a being that is, is prophetic in nature and that God speaks to me, I believe all the biblical truths around that. Tonight's the application night. How do I practically begin to cultivate who God is in me and to bring that out? And so let me begin with a passage from Apostle Paul. It says this. This is actually three of his statements because Paul talks in his letters like he doesn't have any commas or punctuality or uh, punctuation. Like he's like the longest run on sentences. So I brought three of them together in one cohesive thought. It's this. It's 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love. Yet, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted, which means encouraged. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. He said twice in the same chapter to pursue the prophetic. Do you notice he also like indicates that it's for everyone? 
If you want it, it's, it's there for you. The prophetic, you are prophetic in nature, the spillover for someone else's prophecy. He's like, any one of you guys can have it. And he's, notice that he establishes the significance of it above all other gifts besides love. Why? It's because prophecy is about building up in love. But he elevates it to a high standard. Now, if Paul is saying, like, above all else, seek this, we might want to take notice. Why? It's because, again, it reveals God's heart and it builds the body up. Jesus loved people prophetically. If you think back, the woman at the well, he had the word of knowledge. And everyone's like, you are a prophet. <laughs> you are, there's something amazing about you. To the woman who was about to be stoned, he stood before them and said, I condemn you no more. Clarifying God's heart for that woman. These prophetic acts are the greatest moves of God's heart that we've ever known. So Paul's instruction tonight is that we would all cultivate the prophetic in our lives. But how do we do that? How do you cultivate the prophetic? How do you increase your awareness of God's prophetic voice in your life? And the first thing is this. It's to seek the prophetic in your life. How do you want to cultivate it? you got to seek it. I want to hear God like... Talk to me. I want to hear him, like, shape my dreams. I want to know what he thinks of me. I want to know what he thinks about others. Like, okay, you actually got to seek it. Two weeks ago at the end of service, when we did the activation, we laid hands on many of you, and we declared God's promises for you. And some of you felt like you had a big spiritual impartation. And some of you, maybe you didn't feel anything at all. And that's okay. We're believers, not feelers, amen? We're believers, not feelers. Every single time I ever prayed for salvation, or really anything in the kingdom, I never felt it. I'm like, okay, let's try this again. Is this thing, is this thing on? Hello, God? You know, I, I literally think I have given my life to Christ 400 times. And like, I was like a sucker for like the power team, Benny Hinn, anyone on TV that now does like a, you know, walk through, I'm like, I'm at the front of the TV, hand on the screen, like falling over always expecting to have this feeling that never came. And I realize as long as I'm trying to feel something, I'm always going to miss the kingdom. Because Jesus says this in Mark 11, 24, says, Therefore, I say to you, all things which you pray and ask, believe. He doesn't say feel. He says believe. Believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. The power isn't in feeling. The power is actually in believing that I have. And when I finally stood on the promise that I have received what I prayed for, then I became transformed. I necessarily didn't feel different. I still feel the same. But I believe I'm different. And now I operate differently. The fruit is that I, now I let my life prove that I'm saved. Like I'm really sure I'm saved now. I'm probably oversaved actually at this point. But I let the fruit out of my life, despite my lack of feelings, demonstrate what he's already done. I don't feel prophetic at all. I'll tell you that. But I have these weird things like, wow, this, isn't, this does not belong to me. And instead of trying to like, you know, go on medication to help me like deal with my distracting thoughts, I embrace the kingdom. But Jesus says, pray and believe. Don't be zapped and feel really good about it. So we believe by faith we've, that we've received the prophetic gifting upon us. So believe that you've been activated if this is something you want, you first need to like believe like I am a prophetic being. I can hear from the voice of God. I do learn from his spirit. I have the mind of Christ. These are all biblical truths. They're not like maybe someday you can attain. It's like that's who you are. 
And so authentically seek what you've been given. So when we identify with that as reality, then we begin to seek it. Not, I'm going to wait till I feel it and then seek it. Now, why is seeking it really important? Is this, is that God isn't interested in increasing something that you have no desire for. Let me say that again. God is not interested in increasing something that you have no desire for. If you are bored to tears with hearing God's voice, he's probably like, maybe not. (laughs) As a father who gives gifts to my daughter, a four-year-old daughter, I increase what she seeks. I'm in software. My daughter loves princesses. Now, wouldn't it be silly if I'm like, I bring home a book about how to code in Ruby on Rails. I'm like, here, honey, like, read this. This is really good. No, please. Like, come on. And all she wants to do is talk about Little Mermaid. And guess what? Because she seeks the little princesses, we literally have like 400 princesses at our house. We have, I have a princess kickboard, I think. It's the most crazy thing. Why? It's because that is the thing that she seeks the most. What my daughter seeks the most, I increase the most. It's a funny thing. She's never asked me to buy a princess until about six months ago where she realized that princesses actually cost money and daddy has money. She's like, that looks fun. Can I have that? She has like this running list of things she wants for her birthday in November that she's been accumulating ever since the day after her birthday. She's got the most amazing memory. The problem is that she's asked for a power wheel this year. So we'll see how that goes. But the principle is this, is that what she seeks, the father increases. I don't want to try and persuade her against something that she doesn't want. I don't, I'm not like bringing dirt bikes like, please like dirt bikes, come on. But I increase what she seeks because a father doesn't like to persuade his children to like what they don't like. I'm delighted when I give my kids gifts and they love it. That's how gifts work. You give according to the interests and desires of the people you're giving the gifts to. The worst thing I can feel as a father is to give my daughter a gift that she doesn't want and has no interest in. You know, the, the thought isn't like, oh, you ungrateful little four-year-old. It's like, that's not the thought. If I were to do that, if I were to give my daughter a gift that she does not like, you know who I blame? Me. It's like, I missed her heart. She's not ungrateful. I, if I'm the good father trying to give good gifts to my daughter, I missed her heart. So what does it mean to seek the prophetic in your life? Well, does that mean that I create a task list now? Okay, so seek the prophetic. Does that mean I I go into a 12-step program? Does that mean I sign up for a really intense small group? Does that mean that you leave friends, leave church, go out in the wilderness, tear your tunic, and like, you know, eat honey and, and wait for the voice of the Lord? No, not at all. It's very simple. It's this. If you want the prophetic to be increased in your life, you do this single thing, and it's make room for the prophetic. You don't strive. You don't try. You don't increase your muscles. You're not like practicing and lifting weights for it. You just make room for it to take place. When you are a prophetic being, you just make room for what God already wants to do. When you stand upon the promise that God wants to speak to me, I don't need to get a red phone. I don't need to go somewhere. I just need to make room for it. Every church service, small group, Bible study cultivates God's prophetic voice, does an amazing job, brings a truth. Like the worship tonight just stirs in you, and then we like end the service. 
It's perfect because Shaddy and I, like, even like better than I could have planned, made room for the prophetic. And we didn't even talk about this. Is that we have these amazing church experiences, service experiences, where God starts to speak on your heart, and then we like move the program along. Have a good week. We'll see you next Sunday. Don't forget to tithe. You know, like we move things along, and sometimes we forget to make room for what God wants to say in the moment. Sometimes we're so committed to the program, we forget the purpose of a gathering. It's to have an encounter. It doesn't matter how good of a message I can come up here and speak or how amazing set the team can lead if, if you miss the encounter for what God wants to speak to you and you're in tune with it. Otherwise, you've heard a lot of good music and you've heard some clever words and hopefully they were funny. But it's a total miss. The only reason that any of us should be here is to actually have an encounter with the king. If we're not, like, we should go do something else. There's far more things that are more fun, I think. But we're afraid of having awkward silence. We're afraid of being wrong. It takes a lot to have, like, raise your hand. Like, I try to never do that because I'm terrified of that. An act of faith to bold, and boom! All these people had an amazing encounter that validated who they are. Now, this just isn't services and groups that this happens. I'm also talking about a prayer life. Making room for the prophetic. How about your prayer life? Have you noticed that when we pray, our prayers are just generally redescribing our situation to God with our eyes closed? Is that, like, is he really, like, surprised by it? Like, we think, like, hey, God, so this is news. (laughs) And we re-describe the problems like half the times when someone say, I need prayer for X, Y, Z, I just like pray for them and just describe what they just told me. I was like, I think this is working. It's not. Because you're not making room for what God wants to say and do in that moment. Prayer is not telling God what he already knows. Prayer is actually requesting him to speak on the issue. But our prayers sometimes will say like, God, like, oh, I have a housing situation. My, you know, landlord raised my rent. I think I have to move, and I'm so terrified. And God's like, oh, I've been waiting to talk to you about this. Amen. But I've been waiting to, I wonder what else is on TV. I wonder what's on the news. Has Britain left the EU yet? I mean, like, we go to these things. We spend time in prayer. We describe the problem. And God's like, awesome. Let me impart to you what I think about them. We're like, Amen. God, if you want to say anything, I'm listening. What's also on TV? Maybe he would give us the direction if we'd stop for a moment and listen. It's hard listening to God because it's boring. It feels like it doesn't work. When you're silent before the Lord, it's boring because you're like, this isn't working. And it's only been two seconds. And I feel awkward. And so we have all these things, like we can't even be silent before him because we feel like it's, it's got to be better than this. This number one spiritual discipline you can cultivate is being silent before the Lord and listening. And to hear. It's not how many times you can read the Bible. It's not how many verses you read. The most amazing discipline you can incorporate in your life that will transform you is to be silent before the Lord and hear. 
I love reading like theology books. I love that stuff, but if I'm not like before him, like hearing him, like what is it about this book or this topic that you want to say to me? If I'm not in tune with that, I'm wasting my time. In my language, I feel like God would say like, I would talk to you if you would shut the pie hole after praying and let me speak. Because I have things I want to say. But I believe God will radically begin to speaking to you if you would pause and make room for him to speak. Consider for a moment how difficult in your life it is for God to speak to you. All the things that are going on in your mind, like our minds are like this like echo chamber. I'm a Facebook debater, I don't know about you, and it is miserable right now on Facebook. The past like six months have been awful. And so like my mind is like, oh, I should have had that comeback line or, you know, I should have like replayed the scenario or like, you know, I think about work, I think about this situation and that situation, what's going to happen here and oh my gosh, I got to order cliff bars online and I don't have a USB drive, how much are those? Like, I'm like always thinking of different things and imagine how hard it is for God to get through that. When my mind at rest is just like, I'm like, hmm, you know. Have you ever been at a dinner table and had something really good to contribute, but everyone was talking all over each other? Maybe that's what it's like for God who wants to speak to you. He's like, I, 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 um, and like you have to like kind of jump in. I hate that. So I'm just not going to talk. Why doesn't God speak to me? Well, maybe you don't discipline yourself to not have a thought. Maybe you've never given him the opportunity amongst all the chatter to say like, hmm, what do you think, (laughs) you know? Maybe that transformed the entire game if we would allow our minds, dare I say, to be bored with no thoughts. The most difficult thing in your walk may not be to overcome this vice or have this routine. It actually might be to have a mind that has no thoughts so it could catch wind of God's thoughts. And that's the thing that will transform you the most. I once asked someone who I admired so much, who I felt like they could hear God's voice so clear. It's like, how do you hear God's voice so well? It's like, God speaks to me because I listen. And it's like so simple, I didn't have any other questions. It's like, oh, um, I'll think of something else to ask you. Because <laughs> that's very self-explanatory. But developing the habit of having no thoughts and saying, God, what do you want to say right now? God, what do you think about this? Jesus, give me revelation on this situation. Now, again, I don't identify myself as like a real, like my gift and I feel anointing is, is teaching, which even that is like a newer thing. But I don't like readily identify myself as someone who frequently for other people has kind of prophetic words. But a funny thing happened to me about six weeks ago is I was getting ready to go on a six-hour drive to Southern California, and I posted on Facebook, I was like, hey, I'm about to do a six-hour boring drive. The only thing I look forward to on this drive going down I-5 is in Lamore where it smells like cow poo really bad. And it's like, that'll be the, like the interesting mile marker. Like, that's the only thing that's, that's somewhat interesting on this drive. Otherwise, it's just really boring. I was like, hey, I'm about to go on a six-hour drive. I'm going to be bored to tears. If anybody needs prayer, like, I'll like the status, and I'll go and see who likes the status, and I'll, I'll pray for you by name. Like, I went back and packed, and I got on the road, and finally got an I-5, and 
Now, now I'm like on the five-hour stretch. And I pull up my phone <clears throat> legally, and um, <laughs> two problems happened. Is one, there was 105 people that liked the status. The second problem is that my wife pokes fun at me at this. Is I accept a lot of friend requests on Facebook. and was like, sure, why not? And I have no idea who they are sometimes. And then there's other people who are like, I kind of know them, but I have no idea what's going on in their life. And so now I have 105 people like I've promised to. I'm like, this is out of principle now. And so here's someone who I don't know, and I promise to pray for you by name. And I'm going through there. I'm like, uh, God, what do you think? I don't know a detail about this person to make it up. You know what happened? I started getting pictures. I started getting words. I'm like, uh-oh. This is weird. It started with one person. I had their voice, or I had their, their number still. I text them. I was like, hey, is this still your number? Yeah. It's like, I have a word for you. Is that okay? Yeah, that's great. So, so we're, and they're just like, this is amazing. That they thank you. And like, whoa. I kept going down the list. And I was like, I, I went through all 105. And those people who I had a number for or a message, like I sent it to them. Even a former employee who's not saved, I had a word for. He's like, this is cool and weird. <laughs> I was like, I know, like, I fired you, like, nine years ago, but I got a prophetic word for you, man. <laughs> He's like, it's all cool. Like, this is great. I was like, don't be freaked out. But your state of mind matters when encountering the prophet prophetic that you make it available to hear. All it was is that I, I was trapped in a car for a five-hour drive with a list of 105 people that I promised to pray for by name. And you just started like, Jesus, Sarah, oh, man, Sarah, what do you think about her? Oh, wow, that's kind of cool, and that's not me. And so we sent it, and I even sent Eugene. I was like, hey, man, like this thing, and I sent him a text. He's like, dude, like, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, I just last week started this, and it's like, cool, this is so bizarre for me. But having your mind available to ask, God, what do you think about this? What do you want to say here? What's on your heart? Now, if you want to give a, a powerful prophetic word for somebody else, you have to do one thing, is that you must be in a position for God to be able to speak to you. Some people want the prophetic gifting for other people because it's going to be like, I don't want to impress lots of people. But God doesn't want to do that if he can't speak to you first. And so in order to do that, you have to have a posture of humility. If you want to walk powerfully in the prophetic, you must have a posture of humility. Many people, I'm convinced, don't hear from God because they have already made up their mind. I don't hear from God. You probably have your mind made up on whatever you want to hear from about. Many people don't hear from God because their life, frankly, are, on, are off limits. Is there an area of your life that's off limits to God? Like, he can have it all, but not this. <laughs> he can have it all, except that. <laughs> that was me. I'd like, I'll give you 94% Jesus, and hopefully that's enough. We'll just round up to 100 but there are areas in which many of us, we say, I, God, I want you to speak, and I'll, I'm ready to listen except for that one topic that I really don't want to talk about. Ask yourself if you have your mind made up. We have some friends 
that have made some pretty bad decisions and we try to reach out to them and we try to like help and like intervene, but their mind was made up. You're kind of like, you are committed to this. I'm going to like slowly back away. I don't think there's going to be any lightning bolts coming down at you, but I just, that's going to create a mess and I just don't want to get any backsplash from it. And their mind is totally made up. You're like, but the Bible, oh, I don't know. I think it's a different interpretation. It's like it's really clear. Oh, I don't know. Tomato, tomato. You just like shake your head. Like I, You clearly, no matter what I say, are committed to what you want to do, which is fine. That's what you're going to decide to do. I've seen that with incredibly prophetic people who suddenly had a life topic or issue that suddenly came into question about are they going to be obedient to what God says in black and white truth. And they have their way, and then about four or five months later, it's like, I feel really distant from God, like, you know, like the spigot's been turned off or something like that. It's like, well, maybe you actually had an opportunity to hear from God, and you completely said, but out. Said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to try this on my own. How you know it's like really hard to keep talking to someone out of the decision they really want to make? Sometimes my son, like, he's really into putting his shoes on. He doesn't have the dexterity to do it yet. But he'll scream at me to do it. And until he fails at it, and he like, I give up, basically, then I jump in and help him. But he's at the stage where, like, he needs to try and fail. He doesn't want my help. He doesn't want me to show him how to do it. It's like, freak out. And his mind, his mind is made up. Do you ever feel like there's a block in your life from hearing God? It might be because it's an area that you've said has been off limits to God. Or maybe perhaps that God has spoken to you very clearly in the past and you said, eh, not needed now. I'll try something else. Now, people have this wrong mi- misconception about disobedience. People think that when you're disobedient, God holds his voice. How dare you? Like, that sounds like a 17-year-old high school girl. So God's given you the silent treatment? Is that what we're like believing here? That when you disobey that God is going to withhold his voice in some manipulative game? What's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. Like, God's not doing that. You know when my daughter disobeys? I'm like, come here. We're going to talk. When we disobey, the last thought on God's mind is to give you the silent treatment. It's like, how about we have a conversation about this? But here's what, gets, here's what happens is that when we disobey so much, we get a hardening of our flesh and of our heart to where we cannot hear well. The further you find yourself in disobedience, it's not that God's voice is getting any less loud or any closer. He's actually drawing you in. It's just that your flesh and your heart is becoming more calloused to what it is. You're getting used to not heeding his voice. You're getting used to hearing his voice and not responding. And so the enemy says, puts a veil over your eyes. So if you've been challenged in hearing God's voice, maybe you should ask yourself, hey, is there anything I need to repent of in the past? That I came and I disagreed and I, I rejected your voice. You made it really clear. And repent, I don't mean like come up here and like feel really sorry for yourself. Repent just means to change your mind. That's all it is. You ever had someone like you knew you're right and they never came and like made up? You're like, so you know I was right on that, right? God's not like that. 
He doesn't need you to come and say, oh, you were right. Just like, he needs you to change your mind. He's totally satisfied with you changing your mind about it. It's like, was that wrong? That was totally wrong. I changed my mind. I don't need to feel really sorry. I don't need to come and like tithe extra. I just need to change my mind, turn around. Repent just literally means to change your mind and turn the other way. It's this merry time kind of uh, analogy where guys like on a boat, right? And they're like rowing and the, the captain sees a, a storm coming and he'll yell, repent, repent. And they're like, sorry. Like, no, no, turn this mother around. Like we're going to go the other way. This is a bad idea. This is going to lead us into a really wrong direction. We're really sorry. We'll keep tithing and going to church. No, turn it around. And so God, for you, if you need to repent, just he's asking you just to turn the ship around. And when we do that, suddenly the veil is lifted and we can hear. How can we expect God to speak to us and through us when we've told him to butt out? But when we say, God, would you speak? I repent in the ways I was wrong. I changed my mind. You were right. I was wrong. Yes, I disobeyed and I changed my mind. I'm ready, Jesus, to allow the things that have calloused my heart to be lifted. So what does it mean to have a posture of humility? It means to be willing to have your mind changed. Some of us don't like to change our minds ever. Like you can't ever be wrong. It's really annoying when people like can never say that they're wrong <laughs> or they'll never concede the point, but have a posture that your mind can be changed. I know like we're reaching ages where like we're going to be who we're going to be the rest of our life, but have a mentality in your growth to have your mind changed. It means to be willing to yield to his voice. Has he made something really clear? Maybe that should be the authority of it. There's things that we know are black and white that we choose to do anyways. That's really dangerous. It means acknowledging that you don't have all the answers. It means valuing God's voice. It means that like, wow, the creator of the universe who lives inside of me, who wants to speak to me, that kind of is a big deal. And maybe I will value that enough to listen. That's a posture of humility. And it means that God is ultimately the authority over you. We'll say, God, you're the authority over me as long as it's not an issue that we really want to have ourselves. For me, it was always the dating relationships. That was my thing. So let's say you seek it. So you're like, God, I want you to have like an increased voice in my life and you, and you intentionally try to seek it. Let's say that then you make room for it. You are providing time. You are cultivating that, that silence room to speak. And then let's say that you are teachable. God, whatever you want to say, I, I I listen because you're right. I listen because I need it. Let's say you do all that stuff and you do nothing. It's kind of like my son who, he'll wake up and you're like, he's two right now and he loves to swim. He's like, pool, 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 pool. And we'll put on like the, the board shorts. We'll put on the rash guard. We'll put on the floaties. We'll go to like the pool. We'll get out there. We'll sunscreen him. We'll do all that stuff. And he'll get on the diving board. And he's like all about the diving board right now. And he'll get on there and he'll get on the diving board and he'll stand. So, Buddy, this is why we're here. Jump. <laughs> People are waiting. It's like he'll talk nonstop about it. And he's like all about it. And then when it comes to actually doing what we've been prepared to do, he like, we'll stop and wait. And that's how it is in the prophetic. You can have all these disciplines. 
You can have all these things rolled into your life. You can be doing a great job in all these things, and it actually doesn't mean anything if you keep your mouth shut. If there's not an outflow of your life, if there's not an outflow of what God's saying to you into some fashion or form, whether it's just writing it for yourself or maybe it's for someone else, but here's the truth is that it's really hard for God to speak through you when you refuse to open your mouth. That's the truth. You want God to speak through you but never open your mouth? That's a math problem I can't solve for you. So why don't people step out? Why don't people jump? For two reasons. One is most people are afraid of being wrong. Most people are afraid about being wrong. Now that should not be the motivating factor to keep you quiet. I'm not afraid of being wrong. I'm actually afraid of being right and never speaking up. That's a worse outcome. It's far worse to be right and never to speak up rather than to speak up and be wrong. Why? It's because the prophetic and prophecy always builds up. You could have gotten the wrong number but still left them feeling encouraged. You could have had the word for someone else delivered to the wrong person but it was still done in love and they still feel encouraged. That is a good thing. But how many know that you can have the right word but completely blow it and they feel miserable? And they're actually better off not having that word. If you don't speak the truth in love, then you've set them back. But we can speak love and have the details in the prophetic be wrong, but they're still lifted up. Is that making sense? And so remember that the prophetic and prophecy always builds up and never tears down. And sometimes you can have prophetic uh, pictures and things that don't make sense to you. That's actually expected. If it doesn't make sense to you, that's probably a really good sign. Because literally, in the prophetic, you are a mailman delivering someone else's mail, reading someone else's mail. All you need to make sure is that it's going to the right person, and it's a love letter, not a hate letter. It should make sense to you, just like you would open up my mail, like, I don't get this. This makes no sense to me. It usually won't. And so don't let your confusion about maybe what God has put on your heart derail you from actually delivering what God wants to do and say. We don't have to always make sense of it. One time I had a prophetic word, and it was him sitting on a toilet. That was really awkward for me. But it meant the world to him. He's like, how did you know? I was like, I think it's just something we all do. I don't know. But it's very specific for him. So we can't judge like, oh, this makes perfect sense to me, as the indicator for when we share. And the second thing, and I'm going to end with this, is most people don't know how to start. You have the prophetic gifting that is, comes with you just being in Christ. You've made the room, you're teachable, you have these inspirations, and you're like, I have no idea how to start. And so maybe I'm going to be quiet because I don't know how to start. I love surfing. Here's the perfect analogy for this. I'm about to go on a surf trip. When you surf, a wave is coming at you probably a big wave. <laughs> it's coming at you, and its speed is consistent. And so your position, and waves come one after another, one after another, and your role is to get in the right position and to start paddling your butt off to catch up to the right speed of the wave before it lifts you. In the prophetic, it's not like you get to start and be like, thus says the Lord, you know. There's usually a runway that happens in it. Sometimes you just got to like start talking and you're just like, Jesus, like, 
we love you and we just thank you for this person and, and I just, God, I just all of a sudden, and boom, then it starts happening. You jump on the wave. And so activating the prophetic, walking in the prophetic is to see that this wave's coming and paddling to catch up to it. And at that moment, sometimes it takes a long time to catch a wave. At that moment, it lifts you up. Then you begin to start flowing and operating in it. But a lot of us, we don't want to do it because we're really confused in how it works. On my writings and teachings, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to say this week. And I just have to, like, start writing. And I should just start writing. And whatever's going to come out. And sure enough, within a few minutes, all of a sudden, I'm in the flow. And then I have, like, 49 pages of stuff. And then I'm like, I have too much. What do I do? But so many of us refuse to ever start and we never actually catch the wave of what God wants to say and do in our lives. How are you guys doing? Will you guys stand with me? Is this stuff making sense? What you believe about this stuff, it matters. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. Let me say that again. So for as he thinks within himself, he is. That means what you think about all of this stuff, about whether you are prophetic, whether God speaks to you, whether you have the mind of Christ, whether or not he will speak to you if you make room for him, whether or not that's even possible. What you believe about that is going to determine every single thing in this realm. So decide tonight what you believe. Does God speak to you? If you're like, if that's in debate... You might be in a whole world of confusion. If you're like, yeah, he does. I just need to learn how to interpret it. I just need to learn how to decipher it. I need to be able to, to understand it. So tonight, I just encourage you guys to seek it. Be interested in God in the topic of the creator of the universe talking to you. Can we find in our hearts to make that an interesting topic of our life? I don't care who wants a coffee appointment on your calendar. The king of the universe... He's saying, I have made you for conversation with me. Let's let that be interesting to our lives and to seek it. The second is to, again, make room for it. Be so daring tonight that you allow yourself to be bored. That's the hardest thing tonight. Would you make room in your mind and in your heart to listen, to be in that silence? Would you be available to have your mind changed? Say, I don't have all the things figured out. But also, if you have a time that you identify as like, God really spoke to me at this time, and I didn't do anything about it, have an identification with that moment tonight. Say, I changed my mind about that. I'm ready to do that again. And last, a step out. The world is so desperate to hear from people who Christ dwells within. See, Jesus, when he was on the earth 2,000 years ago, there was one version of Jesus. And now there are a billion instances of him inside each one of us. And he rarely speaks somehow. If he lives in you and you have the mind of Christ, surely he's having thoughts and wants to say things. You are continuing his life. So let's just close our eyes and just pray, God, just we thank you for your truth. 
God, say whatever you want to say on our hearts tonight. Speak to us, Jesus. Lord, we make room for you in our life. We want to hear from our daddy God. And declare a new beginning in this room for many of your relationships with Christ. That's been dogmatic and programmatic. That's been limited to reading the Bible like a, a robot and attending services without a new voice. God does not desire your attendance without his voice. I bless you to hear the voice of your king. It sounds familiar. It might be unique to you. It's going to sound different to you than anybody else. Don't look to anybody else to how they hear from God. God is a creator, not a duplicator. So don't, it does not matter how anybody else hears from God. It's how you hear from God. So yes, Jesus, we just celebrate unique expressions of how you would speak. That's why we have all the things here in the service that we are open. Lord, however you want to speak, we say speak. If that's through a painting, if that's through a flag, if that's through dance, if that's just being silent, Lord, we declare that you speak however you want to speak to us and we'll not be ashamed of how simple or how silly it looks. Lord, we want to be transformed and we want to be transformational. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.